faces. So today we are going to start a new series on relationships. We're calling it relationology. And so ology is that, that suffix that you can tag onto any word and say this is the study of that thing, right? So, so maybe relationshipsology or something. But it, relationology sounded good to me. So here we go, examining some elements of great relationships. And uh, I'll talk more about that in just a minute. But I want to start off with a scripture. And it's from 1 John chapter 4. If you have your Bibles or you want to bring out your app, uh, this will be a great place. We're going to read this up at the front and then revisit it at the end and kind of unpack it a little bit more uh, at the end of the message. But, but I wanted to have our minds really sit down in this passage for today. My version, the NIV here, has it subtitled uh, this section, God's Love and Ours. And verse 7 starts like this, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only Son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us. And his love is made complete in us. So, uh, this new series, uh, Relationology, examining the elements of great relationships. And when, when a lot of times you talk about relationships and elements of great relationships and you read a passage about love, we think, oh, you must be talking about romance and marriage and things like that. But he, here's the thing. For this series, the next five weeks or so, we're talking about relationships in general. Uh, friendships, your relationships with your neighbor, your family relationships, your dating relationships, your marriage relationships, your parent-child relationships, like all of relationships everywhere, I feel like there are several common elements that make up really great relationships. I mean, those ones that, that you want to put on a billboard and say, this is how it's supposed to be. It's, it's amazing. You know, all of those relationships, I feel like are going to have several consistent elements in them. We want to spend several weeks on this because relationships are kind of a big deal in our lives, right? I mean, the reality is there's probably nothing that's more important to a human life than relationships. To the extent that if our relationships, are, our key relationships in our life are going really well, then we'll say life is going great. Even if everything else is kind of crashing down around us, if those key elements, those, those family relationships, your close friendships, if they're solid and true and sound, we can weather a lot of storms. And the alternative of that is also most likely true, that if everything's going well in our life except relationships, we're a mess, right? Just one close relationship that goes south will cause us all kinds of pain. So there, there are very few things in our life that cause as much joy as great relationships and that cause as much hurt and pain and heartache as relationships that have gone south. So that's why we want to spend some time working on these together. 
The first ingredient or the first element that I want to talk about today is love. Love. But I don't want to just talk about love in general. This is a word that we throw around on a pretty regular basis like on a whole range of things from like tacos to movies to our spouses to our children, you know. So there's obviously a broad range of ways that we can use love. Um, But I want to talk about that particular kind of love that John was talking about. We say in the church and have for a couple thousand years that God is love. And what do we mean by that? What do we mean when we say that God is love? What is that particular kind of love? of love. You might have noticed that I brought a blanket up on stage today, this beautiful blanket, right? Uh, I mean, it's just a, it's a joy. It's, uh, if you saw this in Target, this is the one you would go for, right? I mean, just pull this one off the shelf because of its inherent beautiful value. Uh, I really, I brought this because I needed some security because you guys are so difficult to preach to uh, and it's so, so intimidating. No, uh, this is actually my son Gray's blanket and I got permission from him to bring this this morning and I needed to get permission uh, because this is such an important part of Gray's life. And, um, and Gray even told me as we were driving over here, he goes, Dad, if you break it in any way, I mean, if it gets torn, I'm like, Gray, have you seen this thing? <laughs> if, it gets stained, if, it, if it gets damaged in a way that, I ha- that it's not already, then you're, you're going to owe me like more than you could possibly imagine, you know? So I had to like swear that it would be fine. Is this a weather alert? Amber alert. Hey, let's stop and pray for this. Heavenly Father, um, we pray that right now, um, whatever child is in need of you, that you would rescue this child. That even now, you would cause the tools of the enemy to fall. That you would break the heart of the person who has taken this child. And that you would lead them to repentance right now. Let the prayers of your people that I'm sure are rising up all over this country today be heard and answered for your glory, for the safety of this child. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, So, Grace had this blanket since he was born, and real early on, we realized that this was going to be kind of an inseparable part of him. Uh, he would take this everywhere. If he went from one floor of the house to the other floor of the house, the blanket was with him. If he was eating breakfast or lunch, the blanket was with him. No matter how many times we told him, it couldn't be with him. Uh, he'd hide it under his leg or his seat or something. I mean, it went on car rides with him. We took vacations with it. It went everywhere with Gray. Gray loved this blanket with a love that maybe was a little too strong. (laughs) In fact, Gray loved this blanket so much and still does that at one point he decided that he would like to wear it. And so that's why it's got this big hole in it because he wears it around the house as a poncho. Uh, He decided to just turn it into a tent and make his home in this blanket, right? And uh, and so very often you'll see him, he'll go to bed like this, you know, it's like he just wanted, wanted it to, it was so important There was one time we actually took a vacation with this. I think we went to Chicago or something and had it in a hotel, and we left it there. You know, right? Uh, It was your mom? Okay, so I can't remember all the details, but I I remember thinking, 
so who's driving up there to get it? You know, like, I mean, it wasn't even a thought. It was somebody's going back to the hotel. Was it Aaron and Abby that actually turned the car around and, and made sure that they were able to pick this blanket up? Because it, it's uncon- inconceivable that we would have left it there. This was, it was kind of the thing where Gray loved this blanket so much that we really learned early on that if we were going to love Gray... And we were going to love his blanket, too. I mean, it was just a package deal, you know? I mean, these, these things went together. And, um, and, and so, again, if you saw this blanket in Target or something, you'd probably pass it up. Or Ashley would probably go and pick it up and say, how much can I get off of this on clearance? Like, will you, will you take 75% off? Come on. Uh, you know, if it's damaged, she'll, she'll really barter there with him. Um, but, uh, but we'd look at this and we'd say, you know, inherently, as a blanket today, this has zero value. I mean, it's not worth anything. Target couldn't give this blanket away. Um, and yet, every one of us in here knows that this blanket is priceless. It has infinite value to Gray and to me because it's Gray's and he loves it. And, and so this blanket is priceless. How is that? How, how does that happen, that something with no inherent value in itself becomes so priceless that I have to care for it even while I'm preaching or I will be in trouble, right? Um, it's priceless because it has been loved in a particular kind of way. It has been loved in a particular kind of way. See, um, there is this certain kind of love that many of us are used to, it kind of comes default, and it's this kind of love where we love something because of what we can find in it. Uh, We go out looking to love something or things that are beautiful, that are successful, that are smart, that are funny, that are attractive, that meet some sort of need that we have. We go out looking for that kind of love. There is a love, a a preacher, one of my favorite preachers, John Ortberg, um, who I quote all the time, he says this, there is a love that seeks value in what is loved. So if the thing is beautiful or successful or pretty or shiny or whatever, there is a love that seeks value in that. So when you say, I love tacos, or I love this movie, or I love it, it's, that's the kind of love that we're describing, that love that seeks value in what is loved. But there's a different kind of love. And it's the kind of love that Gray loved this blanket with, and it's the kind of love that every once in a while will come into an experience with it, and it just absolutely will blow us away. John Ortberg also says that there is a love that seeks value in what is loved, and then there is a love that creates value in what is loved. And that's what Gray's done with a blanket, and maybe you have kids, or you were a kid, and you had a teddy bear, and, or you had a doll, and you just tore that doll apart, and eyes fought, fell out, and the hair got ripped out, and you know, it got damaged by water, and, and your love, and, and, but over time, that, that doll, or that teddy bear, that thing, that blanket became so valuable, because your love created that value for it. That, that kind of love can happen with you and me as well. Did you know this? We can be loved with a kind of love that creates value in us, and we also have the capability as people who have been created in the image of God of loving others with this kind of love as well. John, when 
I heard him say this quote. He also referenced uh, a great Christian writer named G.K. Chesterton, uh, who said that the, the real truth, the profound truth in the story of the beauty and the beast is that a thing must be loved before it becomes lovable. A thing must be loved before it becomes lovable. As with the blanket, there is a love that creates value. And this is the kind of love that people began to experience a couple of thousand years ago when Jesus uh, started calling disciples to himself and going out and speaking about the kingdom of God and healing folks and, and sharing God's love with them and forgiving them and inviting them into a new life with God. This is the kind of love that people around Jesus experienced. And it was most clearly visible and most clearly on display not when Jesus was going and finding the people with the most shiny parts and the most beautiful faces and the most uh, accomplished careers. It was most clearly on display, this kind of love, when Jesus was loving precisely the people that everyone else found to be unlovable. That's the, the moment when the people would say, whoa, that is a particular kind of love that is impressive and beautiful and transformative. John, uh, one of Jesus' disciples, the one who wrote the letter that we read from, found this kind of love from Jesus so powerful when he encountered it that it changed the whole way that he saw himself. He wrote a gospel as well, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and then John, and John's gospel, he, he refers to himself as the disciple who Jesus loved. Like, can you imagine, have you ever been loved with a love that strong that it changes the way so you don't introduce yourself anymore as, hi, my name is Eric, but hi, my name is the one who Jesus loves. Uh, this is how transformative and powerful this love was in John's life. And so he spent a lot of his gospel uh, highlighting the fact that Jesus had, had told his disciples and all of his followers, including you and me, that would follow after them to love one another as I have loved you. That this is how the whole world will know that you're my disciples if you share the kind of love that I have shared with you. John highlighted it in his gospel. He highlights it again in, in 1 John in this letter that he wrote later on. It was so powerful, it changed his life. And as they wrote, as John wrote, as the disciples, the other disciples that had had their lives transformed by Jesus' love, as they, as they wrote the letters and the gospels in the New Testament, they, they came to this concept of love, what it means to be loved by God in Christ. And, and they were like, you know, um, there isn't a word in our language that's accessible to us as they're writing in this old ancient Greek language that really conveys the power and the unique quality and nature of this love that Jesus expressed and shared with us. And, and so they actually found themselves having to come up with like a new word that nobody else was really using at the time. And, uh, and they came up with this word. It had actually been around for a couple of hundred years. It was a common word. Uh, it really just meant to, refer, to prefer one thing to another. Uh, it was just a simple word. But they decided, let's co-opt that word basically and use it in all of our writings and apply it to the way that God has loved us in Jesus. And they came up with this word, and we all, many of us know it today, this word agape. Agape. 
Agape love, it's this particular brand, this particular kind of love that we see in Jesus. Uh, I I wrote out a few notes here. It it is a love not based in the loveliness of what is loved, but in the character and will of the one who loves. This agape love is a faithful kind of love. It's a steadfast and a selfless love kind of love. It's a love that doesn't seek benefit for the one who is loving, but it always seeks the good of the one who is being loved. Uh, Agape, they they take this word out of just the secular language and they plop it down into the middle of the story of God and they infuse it with meaning and value, a lot of the, the same way that God does with us when he loves us and infuses us with meaning and value. And they started connecting it then with the ancient Hebrew word hesed that we talk about from time to time here, Uh, that word that means steadfast faithfulness or loving kindness from the Old Testament. And they said, this is the love of God, and it is most clearly on display in the person of Jesus, especially, like, really comes into focus when you see this love poured out for sinners, who are a long way off from God, who God says, I love you just the same anyway, and I'll do whatever it takes for you to be reconciled with me. This is agape love. It's so powerful, this love was that it launched a movement. It wasn't just the 12 disciples or the 120 people around them or, or the multitudes that followed around Jesus after that. This love was so powerful and transformative that it launched a movement and we're here because of that kind of love and the power that it brings. John then urged the early Christians to love like Jesus. Revisiting that passage that we Red, he starts out, dear friends, or I like the way that uh, the old King James uses it, beloved, beloved. And just before we get past that first word, can we just stop right there? John wants us to remember that we are the ones who are loved. What a great word for John to use, right? The, the disciple who Jesus loved now refers to everybody else in this way as well. Beloved, those who are loved, those who have been loved, those who are embraced by the love of God. This is, these are the people that I'm talking to and that is you this morning. You and me, beloved. What a great, I think we should go back to that word rather than dear friends. Just go with beloved. Let us love. One another. What kind of love do you think John is talking about here? The kind of love that seeks value in what is being loved or the kind of love that creates value? The kind of love that creates value. Let us love one another for love comes from God. This is love of a particular kind and it's on display in God sending his own son, Jesus, who gave his life for us. This is what John says, let us love one another for God. Love comes from God. And then he goes on to explain it. Do you want to talk about what this love looks like? It looks like God sending his son to make atonement for our sins when we didn't deserve it, 
when we couldn't have made up for it ourselves, that God transgresses all of the boundaries and comes and stoops down to our place and pours his love out in a place where we are. This is the way that God's love acts towards us, and he encourages us to love one another in the same way. And I just want to present to you just a real simple um, proposal this morning that this kind of love is the first element of any relationship that is going to ever be great. You want to have great relationships with your friends, with your neighbors, with your coworkers, with your family members then start by putting this element in first. This kind of selfless love, this love that, that gives, this love that puts the other above yourself, this love that doesn't seek value before we'll give it, but it gives it, and in the giving, it creates value in that kind of transaction, that kind of relationship. This is the first element of any great relationship, this kind of love that Paul would later describe in 1 Corinthians 13, and you hear this in all the weddings, but it's applicable in every one of our relationships. This love that is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. Love never fails. I got to be honest, I read a passage like 1 Corinthians 13, and even now as I'm reading it, I'm like, is that even possible? Is it like, is that a real thing that people can love like that? Because um, I know in my own life, just being transparent, sometimes I struggle with that kind of love. Sometimes it doesn't come out that way. Um, and, and so very often I can find myself in my own, my own heart doesn't tend to beat like that uh, naturally. Can I get an amen to that? Is that just me? Do you guys know what I'm talking about? Uh, we read a passage like that, and man, sometimes I'm like, I just want to crawl under a rock a little bit, you know? Like, I don't know if I can do that. And, and maybe you feel the same way. Probably you do, at least from time to time. And, and here's the thing. Um, we feel that way because we can't love like that. I, I mean, I really feel like that, that, that on our own, from our own heart, our, our own heart doesn't automatically work that way. Um, we have these natural tendencies that, that uh, maybe they're unnatural, but just as a part of growing up in a fallen world where we get misshapen and distorted and, and damaged and bruised, where uh, we get protective, and, and a lot of times our heart just doesn't function like that. Uh, we're being transformed, and, and as, it, as we're being transformed and as God has poured into us, it, it changes. But, but uh, a lot of times we wrestle with that. And so I ask the question, can I love like that? And, and I think a part of the answer is no. But then there's a part of the answer that's yes as well. The no part is that no, this love doesn't come from me. But the yes part is that yes, if I'll allow God's love to be poured into me, and if I'll allow God's love to love through me, then the answer, I think, is yeah. 
Yeah, absolutely. We can absolutely receive this kind of love from God, this love that creates value in us, this love that makes meaning, this love that uh, transforms our hearts and our lives. We can easily, very easily, even this morning as you've come in today, and I hope you'll do this, just open your life up to God. This is all that it takes just to open your life up to God, and you can receive this kind of unconditional agape love from your creator. You can do that. In fact, can, can we just close our eyes here just for a moment and just take a moment? Maybe there's no more important thing we can do today than just to kind of envision your heart just opening up to God, your life opening up to God. And just allow him to call you beloved. Right where you are. that this 1 Corinthians 13 kind of love is poured into your life. Now, um, you can open your eyes if you want, but if this love has been poured into you, then shouldn't we do this with this love, what we do with every other good and perfect gift that God does with us, that God gives to us, that we just talked about a week or two ago? That when God pours something into our life, what do we do? Do we hold on to it? Do we keep it forever and ever? Do we hide it under a bushel? Do we? <laughs> Very good. Um, no, we share it. Right? And so this is the pattern of a Christ-like life, of, uh, of anyone who's interested in having a great relationship and a great circles of relationships, that, that, that this is the pattern, that we open our lives up to God's love where it starts, because love comes from God. We allow ourselves to receive this 1 Corinthians 13 kind of love, and then we just become a vessel for that love of God being poured out in all of our relationships. Verse 12, I think, chapter 4, verse 12 says, Dear friends, since God so loved us, since he poured this love into us, since you received it, we also ought to love one another. And so here is the lesson for this morning, the truth for this morning, that if you want to have great relationships, and we all do, no matter where those relationships are, probably we all want to have lots of circles of really great relationships. Here's the, uh, the I think, uh, the truth that doesn't come so naturally that might not be readily apparent to us. That if you want to have great relationships, this next quote on the screen, the first element of great relationships is a love that doesn't come from your own heart, but from the heart of God. Some of us maybe have been stubbing our toes or flexing our muscles or, or working or banging our heads against the wall in a certain relationship and we can't figure out why it can't get better than it is and we, we can't figure out how to maybe take it to the next level or we can't figure out why we're not experiencing uh, all of the, the beauty in that relationship that maybe we ought to. And I wonder this morning, and we've got four other elements, so I don't know if this is the answer, but I wonder if this morning that a part of the answer is that you've been trying to love from your own side, from your own heart. And if you would just lay that down 
and say, I'm going to love you instead of with what I can muster up, I'm going to love you with the love that's been poured into me and with the quality of that love, and it's going to be poured out of me. I'm going to love you with the love of God. This is one of those counterintuitive things that to have a great relationship with somebody, the best move you can make is to love them with a love that doesn't come from you, but comes from somewhere else. A love that has its origin in God and flows through you. God, John tells us that when we love others in this way, that God actually makes his home in us. Makes his home in us. And that God's love, when we are engaging in this kind of love with others, he makes his home in us, and then his love is actually made complete in us. Man, that's something I want to have happen. I'm guessing that you do too, that, that I don't want like a 75% love or a 90% love or this circle of love that like almost gets it done. I, I want this love that is made complete. And this is how John says that it happens. We have God's love poured into us and then we go and share that with everybody that we come into contact with. And God comes and lives in us and his love in that way is made complete in us. Would you bow your heads? I want to invite you to have a word of prayer with me. I want to encourage you to picture a few key relationships in your life. It's your spouse, your kids, your neighbors, your coworkers, your boss, your obnoxious Facebook friend. Think about the question, what kind of love have I been trying to love this person or these people with? If you find that it's a love that's been easily frustrated or a love that is conditional or a love that um, keeps records of wrongs or whatever it is, then maybe you want to exchange that love that you've been trying to muster up for the love that God has already poured into your life. And so God, we pray right now that you would make us vessels for you. That you would pour your love into us, that it would be a transformative kind of love. That we would experience the value and the meaning that that creates in our life just because we are beloved. And God, may that experience transform the way that we see and interact with and speak to and love all the people and all the relationships that we have. God, may our love not be on display in these relationships, but may your love be on display. And may your love be the transformative element in all of our relationships to make them great relationships. We pray that we would see you and seek you in every one of them. We pray these things in the name of Jesus.